The Gospels are full of the teachings of Jesus. He spoke to crowds about topics like the kingdom of heaven, generosity, and relationships. But some of his statements were hard to hear, and some appeared nearly impossible to apply. What do we do with these seemingly mic drop moments? Join us as we tackle these one-liner statements in our next series, Jesus Said. Everybody, welcome to Grace Life. How are you guys doing? You good? Help me welcome all of our first-time guests. We're so glad to have you guys with us as well. Both those of you here in the room, those of you online. Well, hey, before we go any further, man, that's just cool, isn't it? Come on, for the folks online, can I get the booth, give, give them the big widescreen, let them see this thing that we're talking about here. So, uh, hey, I want to tell you a little bit about this. You know, here at Grace Life, what we want to do is provide an opportunity for you to use your spiritual gifts in a meaningful way to advance the kingdom of God. And so if you've got the heart to serve, we have a team where you can do that. If you've got the gift of singing and playing an instrument, you want to see people led in worship, we've got a team for that. And sometimes in a church, someone may ask the question, what if I've got the spiritual gift of giving? Have you guys ever read about that one in the Bible? And they may say, well, what exactly do I do with that? Well, we built a team this year for the first time, started what we are calling our legacy team. And this is a team uh, for people who do have the gift of giving, and they are simply looking for opportunities to advance the kingdom of God. Some of you look for opportunities every time you wake up uh, to share your evangelistic gifts. Some of you look for opportunities to sing. They wake up every day looking for an opportunity to advance the kingdom through their giving, simply put. And so we started our legacy team this year, and and one of the things we did is we just said, here's what we could do if there were more funding. Like, this is the vision if, if we could do more things. And on that list were like some missions projects all around the world that we've got partners we would love to do more for, things for our youth, our next generation, and A couple of them were for our building, and one of them was this thing that was on our dream list behind us. It's called an LED wall. Uh, You guys, you know, you go TV shopping. Come on, men, right? (laughs) Those of you that are trying to have, like, the coolest man cave in town, your church just beat you. (laughs) Your 80-inch big screen ain't got nothing anymore. You're going to have to come to church for the coolest man cave, just for the record. So uh, how this came to be, I want you to know this this did not come out of your normal tithes and offerings. This did not affect our normal ministry budget in any way here at Grace Life. This was a gift from our legacy team. So would you do me a favor and help me say thank you to our legacy team that put this on the stage for us. So I just want to take a moment and say, for those of you, I didn't know we had a legacy team. I, I honor God with the first 10%, and I'm always looking for a way to, to do more, to be more generous. If you think that that would be you, then simply text legacy to the number on the screen, and we will uh, have someone get in touch with you to find out if this is the right team for you. Uh, second thing I want to talk about today is first step, as you just heard in the announcement. But, you know, every now and then people aren't always paying attention. They're thinking about what they're going to have for lunch or something. So let me just go ahead and, and remind you, if you are new to Grace Life, I would love to meet you. I'd love to be able to talk to you about who we are, what we do, why we do it. And so right after the second service today, uh, right about noon, you can simply be back here in this building, right down the hall in the serve team room. And uh, we will have free lunch. We'll have free child care It'll give us a chance to have a conversation, answer any questions that you may have. For those of you that are online, uh, simply text First Step to the number on the screen. We will send you a link, and that will be right after the second service as well. Well, there you go. Let's jump in. We're in a series, everybody, called Jesus Said. Today is part four. If you've missed any of it, you can catch up on our website or on our app. 
And uh, what we're doing is hopefully something so simple. We're, we're just trying to make this as simple as possible. We're trying to go back in time 2,000 years to where Jesus was walking the earth and he was speaking. And the truth is he said some really challenging things. And too often, I think we read the Bible as spectators. So the goal for this series is to not be a spectator. Imagine yourself right there when Jesus said that and ask yourself, what are you gonna do with that? So we're picking different phrases. The truth is I could do like a five-year-long series on the things Jesus said. So uh, I think we're gonna be bringing back more of this every year, like a recurring uh, kind of series idea. But for now, uh, we've picked eight of the top ones that we wanted to address right now. We're on number four, as I said. Um, and so that's where we are. Uh, hey, uh, you know, one of the things I think is most interesting about being a church family is how different we are. And if we were to go around the room and talk about our backgrounds of growing up in church and what that was like, we would all have such dramatically different stories. We'd have some who say, I don't have a church growing up story. Like we didn't go to church in my family. Some of you would say, well, I grew up Catholic. Some would say I grew up Baptist. Some would say I grew up so many things. I don't even remember what they all were. Just went all kinds of different places. And the reason I think that is important for us to understand is because your family or your church growing up had some things that were really important that you did. And you may look around and go, I don't know that we do those things anymore. Or you may notice that Grace Life does things you never did. And you may be wondering about some of those, right? You guys ever had some of those questions? Like if you, you don't have to raise hands for this, but if you grew up Catholic, then you're used to fasting for Lent. And you probably wondered why everybody else who believes in Jesus and worships the same God didn't have to fast for Lent. I had some Catholic friends growing up and they're like, why are you getting to eat pizza on Friday, man? That's just not fair. So I don't know, take it out up with, with your folks. I mean, all I know is my pastor didn't tell me to give it up. So, you know, we kind of have those different things. And like, I grew up in a church where the pastor wore a robe, a satin robe with like a little sash and everything. And everybody else tried to keep up with that. You know, you like, you, you wore coats and ties. You had to dress your best going to church. And uh, obviously that's a practice we've lost here at Grace Life. Rainbow sandals, the official Grace Life worship shoe, apparently, but uh, I guess I'm the only one that's still, I'm just kidding. Anyway, but you may wonder about some of these things. Let's, let's think about Jesus for a minute. You know, Jesus, we might lose the context, but he was a Jewish man. He was born in the nation of Israel. He, he grew up Jewish and the Jewish people, those would be the people of God in the Old Testament, if I could just simplify it for everybody, especially if you're new to church. And, uh, you know, they had all kinds of rules and all kinds of festivals, and all kinds of, maybe I'll say it this way, religious practices that they, they did all the time. And, and then along comes Jesus, and he kind of challenges them on some of those practices, and, and he even starts to say, well, you don't need to do that, and, and you're misunderstanding this, and you've lost the heart of that. And, and it raises what I think is a great question for you and me today, and that is, if we are Jesus followers now, 2,000 years later, given different backgrounds, are there some of those, and again, religious practices that we should actually still do as followers of Jesus? Because when Jesus came, he kind of said, look, the reason that y'all were misled with some of your religious practices is because y'all are trying to earn your way to heaven by all of the rules you follow and the festivals you celebrate and all that sort of stuff. But I'm here to tell you that's not going to be the way anymore. As a matter of fact, you've misunderstood. Here's what's going to happen. I am going to pay for all of your sins, I am gonna die on the cross. I'm gonna make you right with God. And it's not gonna be all of that old stuff. And as a result of that, which we call salvation, by the way, anybody happy for salvation through the gospel, come on. 
As a result of that, sometimes we think that absolutely nothing we do matters. There is no religious practice, so to speak, if I could just allow me to use those words for a few minutes, that, that we should even keep up with. But the reality is Jesus got confronted on this a couple of times. And well, the one that I'd like us to talk about today is one that's very important to us here this week at Grace Life. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me. I'm going to show you what Jesus said about some of these old religious practices. It's in Matthew 2. We're going to start in verse 18. And it says, now John, this is John the Baptist, by the way, the cousin of Jesus. Excuse me. It says, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And just to make sure everybody understands what's going on, the Pharisees were the hyper-religious, ultra-religious people of the day. Uh, Did anybody grow up with a sibling that was the title tell in your house? Anybody had one of those? I've got four children. I'm not going to say who, but I've got like, you know, just one of those. They want everybody to follow the rules, especially if they have to, right? Okay. Uh, That's a Pharisee. That child or that sibling of yours would have been a great Pharisee like a couple thousand years ago. They are perfect rule followers and they want to make sure everybody else follows the rules. Even though sometimes when mom and dad isn't looking, they break them because that's exactly where Pharisees were. They wanted to follow all the rules while people were watching. They didn't necessarily get it all right when God was watching. So here we are. We've got their disciples who are trying to put on a good show for everybody. We've got John the Baptist's disciples who just think that this is what they're supposed to do. They're fasting. So people come to Jesus and they say, why are John's disciples fasting? And the disciples of the Pharisees, all the religious people, our leaders are fasting, but your disciples do not. And Jesus said to them, well, can the wedding guest fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken taken away from them. And then, then they will fast in that day. If you just got lost, again, that, that was kind of strange. Like, Jesus, why are we talking about a wedding all of a sudden? They were asking about fasting. What is this bridegroom stuff all about? Well, one of the pictures that we have in the Bible of who we are is that Jesus is the groom and, and the church is the bride. And Jesus came for the bride, all of the children of God, and he's preparing a bride to present to his father. And, and that's what that means when we become more like Jesus, we're becoming more prepared as a bride to be presented to the father. So Jesus is the bridegroom. And so he's essentially saying like, look, I've come down, like we're having a party right now. And uh, I'm only going to be like doing this stuff for about three years. And when I'm gone, then my disciples can fast. Right now, we're having a little bit of fun. And so he said some important things there at the end. He said, and then in that day. So is Jesus physically on the earth with us anymore? That was not a trick question. Come on, y'all. Are y'all even paying attention? I feel like I'm teaching middle school all over again, like. Have to use the words. All right, I'm going to give you a test on this. Just see if you're, all right, anyway, let's try this again. Is Jesus physically on the earth with us anymore? No, yes, the spirit of Christ dwells in us, but Jesus is not physically on the earth. So we are then, the bridegroom will be taken away from them. And then in that day, which is now, they, who are they? The followers of Jesus, which is, thank you, us. So then, which is now, us will fast is what Jesus is saying. The problem is some people today, a lot of people today who are saved by the grace of God and go to a church like ours believes that fasting is some ancient religious practice that has no place in our lives because of what Jesus said. 
because he didn't stop talking there. Matter of fact, he didn't even break paragraph. He just kept right on going. He says, and in that day they will fast. And then he picks it up with, no one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins and the wine is destroyed and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Boy, sometimes you just wonder like, the people asking Jesus questions were in for a roller coaster ride. Okay, first of all, we took a trip to a wedding. Now we are at a tailor shop and now we're making wine. Like what is going on here? Well, look, let me just, something they would have understood we don't understand because we, do not, we don't make our own wine, most of us, and we don't store it in animal skins. But what would happen is you make new wine, they would get animal skins and they'd create this, this little bag of sorts. They'd pour the new wine in it, but the new wine would ferment, which expands and brand new leather will expand with you. And so the animal skin would expand. The problem is if you're using an old wine skin and it's already expanded and you fill it up with new wine and that wine starts to ferment, then it's going to burst the skins and everything is ruined. What Jesus is explaining is you can't put something new into something that's already expired. And so a lot of people think because he said this right after he was talking about why his disciples weren't fasting, of course, they missed a few words when he says they will, they focus on the idea that, well, hey, the gospel is the new wine. Jesus came, he died for us. The religious practices are the old wineskins. We shouldn't have to do any of those. Jesus never said we wouldn't have a reason to do any of those. What he was talking about is the motivation for them. He was saying, look, here's the old wineskins. The old wineskin is y'all want to act religious so you can look religious, so you can impress people by being religious and hope that you are religious enough that you'll be right with God. That's a pretty old wineskin. And for the record, not gonna work anymore because the new wine is that I will die on the cross. I will pay for your sins. You will be right with the Father because of me, but the disciples will fast. So let's go on and see how he explains that. Like, look, you're not going to fast to do these religious shows but because I will be gone, you will fast for my presence and my power to be manifest upon the earth. He says it in another place as well. In Matthew chapter six, for those of you that are, that are going with us, Matthew chapter six, verse 16 says, and when you fast, and I'm gonna stop right there because this is in the Sermon on the Mount. It's the most famous sermon that Jesus ever gave. And he was explaining what life was like in the kingdom of heaven. And he had just talked about a few other things and used, and when you, fill in the blank, and when you, fill in the blank. So he had just talked about, and when you give to the needy, is there anyone today, 2,000 years later, that would believe God would want us to ignore people who are struggling in need and hungry and we should not give? Anybody? So we would expect that when Jesus said, and when you give, that's something we'd still be doing 2,000 years later. His very next phrase is, and when you pray, is there anyone that would think we should not be praying and talking to our Father in heaven anymore? Of course not. So he says, and when you give, he tells us how. And when you pray, he tells us how. And then he says, and when you fast. And some people suddenly think, oh, wait a minute, that one is not for today, which makes no sense, obviously, unless we're throwing them all out. So he goes on to say, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, which is what he called the Pharisees, by the way. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. People are impressed. People think they're cool. God does not. So their reward is what people think. But when you fast, see it again? Not if, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Look, he's really got three very simple points here. Number one, when you fast, not if. Number two, don't do it for a show. And then number three, did y'all catch that cool part? Your father will reward you. A reward for fasting? That's, that's a strange thought. Anybody ever thought about that? But actually, if you look all throughout scripture, there are two rewards that always come with fasting. And the first one is what I like to call a move of God. When we see all throughout scripture, the stories of God's people saying, God, we need you. You've got to show up. Like this army's going to destroy us. You won't have any people on earth. Or, or this king has declared an edict that we're all going to die. Or, you know, whatever the story was. People of God needed a move of God and they would come together in prayer and fasting and then God would show up with his power. He would move on their behalf. Now, I just got to take a time out, little disclaimer, uh, and make sure we all understand that I did just tell you that prayer and fasting will bring about a move of God in your life. But I did not just tell you that prayer and fasting will guarantee you anything you want the way you want, like the winning lottery numbers this week. A lot of people sometimes hear a sermon like this that way. That is not at all what I'm saying. Matter of fact, I can assure you that your father in heaven wants to move on your behalf to rescue you from whatever circumstances are ungodly and difficult in your life. But I cannot promise you that God's going to do it exactly the way you, you want and exactly on the day you want. You know how we kind of pray, God, I need this job. I've got to have this job. It's the perfect job for me. And I need this job by Tuesday because I can't pay any bills on Wednesday. And how many of y'all know God does usually not give you that job by Tuesday? I mean, it's just like, what are you doing, God? You just don't like me sometimes? Well, that's a whole nother message on faith and maybe all kinds of other stuff we could talk about. But again, I want to tell you, God will show up, but he may not show up in your little box. God may show up a month with a great job that's even better than the one you wanted. And somehow he sent one of his believers to meet your needs in the meantime, because he also said, and when you give to those in need, don't create this tiny little box when you pray and fast and say, God, I need this, this way on this day at this time. But it is okay as we see all throughout scripture to say, God, I need you. God, I need you. The doctors don't have an answer. God, I need you. My marriage is falling apart and none of my words work anymore. Flowers don't work. Counseling don't work. Nothing. God, I need you. It is okay. We are here to call upon our God. Just don't create a very tiny little box because he'll blow your mind by blowing up your box. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that. The second thing that I, I think is a reward we see throughout scripture from prayer and fasting, and my favorite one personally is more of God. And, and the reason it's my personal favorite, and it should be all of ours. Now look, we're in church. And so I said, how many people want more of God? We would all raise our hand, but don't do that because we just know in church, that's what you do. But think about it this way. You may need a move of God more than anything in your life right now. Maybe one of those situations I just described is where you are. Maybe something medical, maybe something in your marriage, maybe you're facing something financial. You're like, God, I need you to move. What you need to understand is when God moves, unless you go to heaven tomorrow, if you remain in life on a broken earth, you're gonna need another move of God a year from now. Any move of God is going to bring about a temporary solution to a temporary problem in a temporary realm. But when you get more of God, it's eternal and it is, it's permanent. As your relationship with God grows, that doesn't go away. When you get to heaven, it's not like everything that you experienced with God just erases. I mean, you are gaining something in your relationship with God that will never be lost. Don't ever miss that the most important goal of prayer and fasting is to get closer to him. 
first and foremost. And so, look, at this point, I hope I've made my case for what Jesus said and how we should respond to it. Jesus said, and when you fast. He said, his disciples will fast. And I hope at this point that all of you are saying, okay, I, I should pray and fast. I should want to move of God. And when I want to move of God, I should pray and fast. And, and I definitely want more of God, so I should pray and fast for that. And so what I want to do is just take a few minutes as we're wrapping up and uh, kind of answer some of the most common questions that I get asked as fasting. And yes, I did just say as I'm wrapping up and I'm not even close, but that's what pastors do just to kind of lead you along. So yeah, I'm halfway, but that's okay. Give me a break. And so as I wrap up for the first time by moving into the second half, I love my job. One of the main questions that I get asked about prayer and fasting, uh, especially if they didn't just sit through the last few minutes is what's the point? What is the point of fasting and so, you know, two of them I just gave you, I'm just going to hit them real quickly, uh, is simply to see a move of God in your life. You know, God calls himself El Shaddai. That was a name that he gave to his people. And it means, I am God Almighty. What he said is like, look, when you need God Almighty, when you need almighty power in your life, call upon me because I can't wait to show up and show the entire world that I alone, not the gods they believe in, not the statues they bow down to, not the problems that you have, nothing is more powerful than me. I am God Almighty. He cannot wait to show up in your life. Second thing, as we just said, is more of God. Look, how many of you wanna hear God's voice better? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. How many of you want to hear God's voice, period? Don't have to raise your hand. I mean, that's cool if you do. Yeah, here's the truth. I would tell you everybody wants more of God. You know, I would dare even say it, and I'd say it to their face. Even atheists want more of God. The only reason they're atheists is because they've had none of God. They've never experienced him. They've never had anything with them. But, but I can promise you that if I could find an atheist and say, if, just give me a big if, if, there is a loving, personal, almighty being that controls the entire universe and therefore your life and would show up in power, heal you when a doctor can't, change your heart when you can't, change your spouse's heart when you can't. I mean, would you want that? Just if would, and I promise you every atheist would go, well, I guess. Some would go definitely. Everybody needs more of God. So we get Move of God, we get more of God, and then one more, and that is we get ourselves back in order. I like to say it this way. We, we realign our body, soul, and spirit. See, we're made in three parts. We've got a body. It's been there since the day you were born, and your body is, well, sometimes loud and annoying and always wants its way, like, I'm hungry. Feed me right now. You know what I mean? It's been doing that, like, since the day you came out of the womb. Or it'll say, I'm tired. I don't care if we're late to work. And so you hit the snooze button, something like that. Your body has been whining for as long as you've been having birthdays. And you know what we've been doing? We've been worshiping it. When it cries, it doesn't want to get out of bed. We obey. We bow down. We hit a snooze button. We call in sick. Oh, 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 I think I have the COVID. You know what I mean? <laughs> you don't need a COVID test. You're just lazy, you know? I mean, and, and if we're hungry, it's like, I need three pieces of fried chicken. Oh, those were good. I need two more. I mean, it's, we've been making a God out of our body. Then there's our soul, which is our mind, our will, and our emotions. It's also been screaming since the day you were born. It's what we want. It's how we feel. It's what we think. 
I feel angry, so I'm gonna scream at you. I mean, I mean, come on, parents in the room, like you never had to teach this to your child. They, they get angry, they throw things, and somehow they come out of the womb trained to hate the word no. You know, just, ah, you know, and we grow up and we follow Jesus. We start reading the Bible and the Bible says no one occasion to some things. And we go, ah, you know, we manifest. And so we've been worshiping our soul. Like whatever you think, you can say. Whatever you feel, you can act upon. And whatever you want, you can get. And so we just constantly go from serving our soul to serving our, our body to serving our soul to serving our body. And one of the things about prayer and fasting is it puts our body and our soul in the back seat of the car and the Holy Spirit, which dwells in us back in the driver's seat. And it reminds us, hey, you know what? I know you're screaming. I know you're hungry. I know you're growling, but guess what? You're not my God. So I'm gonna prove to you that you're not God for just a short period of time. That's kind of what happens. We realign how we have worshiped the other parts of us. And so we've got a little phrase that we use here at Grace Life. It's something God gave me one of the first times that I preached on prayer and fasting. And we, we just say it every time so that some of you will even say it before it gets on the screen, or you can just say it with me as it hits the screen here. And, and we say it this way. Fasting reminds us that our physical world is not our home. Y'all, this ain't it. We're going there, right? And that our physical desires are not most important and our physical body is not our God. And that's why we fast. We, we take some time to tell our physical body, I know you're hungry, get over it. You're not number one on the worship list. And our physical desires, well, I know you want this or I know you want that, but get over it. We're gonna set that aside because you're not number one on the God list. Fasting reminds us that whatever experience we're having here in this physical world, <laughs> this is not what it's about because this is not our home. This is temporary. Physical desires are not most important and our physical body is not our God. Second question that I get asked a lot is, how long should a fast be, and am I sinning if I break it early? Here's the answer to how long a fast should be, however long God told you to take one, however long you and God were talking about. If you're fasting for a move of God, well, you might wanna fast until you see a move of God. It's funny, we always decide, I need a move of God, I'm gonna fast for three days. I need a move of God, I'm gonna fast for 21 days. And we get the example from a guy in the Bible named Daniel who fasted for 21 days because he needed something from God. And we're like, that's the magic number. Now, here's the thing. In his case, he was going to fast until God showed up. He got lucky it was only 21 days because he was fasting until God showed up. So, hey, look, you may fast until God shows up in whatever way you are looking to see him do. You may just be thinking, you know, God, I just need some realignment here. I just need some refreshing in my life. I'm going to fast for three days. Maybe you fast as a family. Maybe grandma is sick and all of the children, grandchildren happen to be believers or at least some of you and you come together and say, we're gonna fast for grandma's healing. I mean, there are all kinds of reasons that would set how long you fast. The other thing that may come up is if you're a part of something like a church and it sets aside a time of prayer and fasting and that would help you come up with how long the fast should be. Matter of fact, the prophet Joel gives us an illustration of this. He says, declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. And so in this case, uh, what we feel we have uh, been led to do as elders of Grace Life is to pick two times of the year. We'll talk about those more as, as I'm getting uh, closer to my second time wrapping up and uh, explain how we're gonna do that this week. But we take two times a year as a church family to seek God's presence and power in our lives. And uh, so in, in this case, we're, we're gonna fast for a week. Then the answer is, am I sinning if I stop early? And uh, well, the answer to that is no. And I'm just gonna leave it like this. It's not a sin, but if you get off the train early, 
you may not end up where you wanted. Can I just leave it like that? Is that okay with everybody? And by the way, has anybody ever been in a fast and then you broke it accidentally? Anybody ever done that? Because you've got such a habit of sticking things in your mouth. I mean, we really do, y'all. That you do it and you don't realize it. Like I've got a, a personal reward system that gets me to this point every week. When I'm writing my sermon, every page of my notes that I complete, I get a Godiva chocolate. Little truffle with ganache in the middle. I mean, it, it's true, y'all. Anybody on the staff, they know. Go into my office, it's, it's right there. But anyway, and the best part of it all is I'm getting older and my eyesight's getting worse. I have to keep changing the font size. And so in the last month, I've started earning three extra pieces of chocolate with every sermon that you hear. And I am not making that up. That's a true story. Anyway, the point is, it is very easy to have habits where you just stick something in your mouth. You're a mom, you're fasting, but you're still fixing dinner for the kids. Next thing you know, you know the, the taste test. You got to do one, right? And then there's a meatball in your mouth or you walk by... <laughs> You walk by a coworker's desk and they start talking to you and you grab a handful of Skittles out of the bowl on their desk and then you're there. So the question is, what do you do when you accidentally break a fast? Well, you can either swallow the Skittles and start over and keep going, or you can spit the Skittles out and keep going. When I was actually first starting to follow Jesus in my life and, and first learning about fasting, I had a friend of mine who I said, well, it's over now. You just messed up. Might as well just quit. And I'm thinking, did you go back to the Pharisees? Like, what is this all about? Like God's after the heart. So look, if you accidentally break your fast, then spit it out or swallow it and start over. I mean, it's just real simple. You're after more of God. It's not about the meatball you just swallowed. And next question I get asked always, of course, is, you know, what are the varieties of ways to fast? Because there are so many ways to do this. Uh, you know, there's the, the first assumption and the traditional idea of no food and, and water only. And the reason for that is because that's what we see in the Bible. That's the primary example in the Bible. And so we tend to follow that as kind of our first go-to. By the way, here's another reason. There's really nothing else that will remind you so regularly that you are trying to ignore it, except your stomach. There's nothing else that will so regularly remind you that you should be doing something like eating instead of praying. And it gives you the opportunity to say, instead of eating, I'm going to pray. Thank you. I'm gonna take my entire lunch break and ignore you, my little God. And I'm gonna go worship the one true God in my life for the next few minutes. That, that's what our body will do for us. Um, and I had a friend of mine, that was the kind of fast he always did uh, in college. And he had a simple rule, no food. And uh, so as long as I don't chew it, it's safe. He's the only man I know that could gain weight on a fast because of McDonald's milkshakes. If it did not require chewing, it was, look, I just want to throw this out there. If you're looking for a way to cheat at the fast, you've already missed the point. You don't even have to do it. If that's what you're after, you've missed the point. Here's some other ideas. Maybe you say, well, I don't know about no food at all and water only. Uh, how about protein shakes uh, in place of some of your meals or all of your meals or whatever? Maybe you just leave out certain types of foods. Maybe you say, I'm not going to go no food at all, but you might leave out things like sugars and sodas and or fried chicken, whatever it is that makes you happy. Maybe you do no breakfast or lunch, you eat dinner with your family every night. Maybe you just limit portion size. Maybe you follow Daniel's example. What, well, not only was he fasting 21 days, but he said he ate no meat, no delicacies, and no wine. So we kind of nickname it these days. If you're fasting, we say no, no meats and no sweets. And uh, so you may adopt something like that. There's more than one way uh, to show that to God. Look, here's the truth. I, I just couldn't cover them all. There are also non-food ways to fast. You may say, look, I, I'm not 
feeling led to deal with food right now, so I'm going to fast social media or television or something else. Whatever you feel has you very close to the world and very far from God. Did you guys hear that phrase? Whatever you feel has you close to the world and far from God, fast that. And if you don't feel anything in particular does, then that's why food, again, constantly reminds you of the need to pray because we're constantly hungry. And so I do want to point out, as I move on to the next question, the point of fasting is not about what you're giving up. Some people get so caught up on how do I give up this? What do I get? It's not about giving up. It's about getting more of God. The giving up is just giving up something that has us distracted and consumed so that we have room for God in our lives. Another question that I get asked often, is fasting food unhealthy? You may actually have some nutritionists or or people that may try to tell you that, but I have to be honest and push back. The answer is no, it is not unhealthy because God made our bodies, God calls us to fast. And by the way, Jesus fasted for 40 days and he fasted food for 40 days. And so we know it's not unhealthy. The reason that some people think it is, is because of their experience when they give up food. The truth is, most of us are not hungry when we start fasting. We're detoxing. We're in full-blown withdrawal because we love things that our bodies, well, maybe God didn't intend for them to have in the first place. Like Dr. Pepper, high fructose corn syrup, lots of sugar, fried stuff, carbohydrates to the full. I mean, go back and look in Genesis. It's maybe not exactly what God had in mind. So the truth is when you start fasting, most of us are not hungry. We're in like drug withdrawal. I'm just gonna be out. that's where we are. And so just there's a little trick for you. It's a little too late for those of you listening to me right now because uh, we're starting today. And, but usually when I know the week of prayer and fasting is coming, I, I try to set aside three or four days or even a week prior to that to have a little bit less of some of those things so that I don't inflict torture upon myself when I start fasting. I'd rather just go without food than be going without chocolate and candy and sugar and Dr. Pepper and Cheetos. So at least when I'm seeking God, my body is not convulsing from withdrawal. But anyway, that's just free advice for you there. Because look, here's the truth. If I could just be honest, most Americans, like an overwhelmingly huge number, and I'm not even gonna throw out a percentage, but most of us have an unhealthy relationship with food. It's just the world we live in. And some of us love it to an extent that you know, we go out for a breakfast buffet and four hours later, we're, we're going to a lunch buffet. You know, we've, we've got kind of a gluttony thing going on. And then on the other side, we have some of us with eating disorders. We've got the exact opposite unhealthy relationship. And so I just wanna encourage you, maybe take the week of prayer and fasting. And uh, if you need to, don't fast food. If you've got one of those situations going, you might wanna fast something else, but I would encourage you to talk to God about your relationship with food during a fast and see if he'd have you reset that. And so, it's not unhealthy, but it does bring up another great question. Some people would say, well, what about fasting if you have medications that require food? Maybe you're pregnant. Maybe you have a physically strenuous job. And uh, there are many ways to go about this. You can limit portion size. Maybe you can try the Daniel idea of no sweets, no meats. Or maybe you can just change what you eat because you, you may need to take food with your medication. But if you would go home, do me a favor, read the little medication bottle. I promise you, it does not say on the side, must be taken with double cheeseburger, Dr. Pepper and fried chicken. <laughs> it can be taken with raw broccoli and carrots for a week. So I'm just saying. And then I'm gonna end with this one uh, because you know, Jesus talked about, like, don't let everybody know that you're fasting. He didn't mean that you couldn't let people know you're fasting. He just meant don't show off. And some people take that to an extreme. Like, we all know we're praying and fasting this week. 
People will walk into a prayer meeting halfway through the week and act like they're not fasting, which we are, you know, and well, maybe they're not, but I mean, people are trying to, they're just afraid to say it. And some people forget to tell their spouse. They're like, well, I'm not supposed to tell anybody I'm fasting. And your spouse cooks this great meal for you. And you're like, it's okay to tell people you fast. So what happens if maybe your friends ask about it, you're used to going to lunch with them every week or your kids ask about it or something like that. Can I just encourage you, take advantage of the incredible opportunity that just fell into your lap. You get the opportunity to simply explain, well, Jesus said what his disciples would do and I'm a follower of Jesus. And this is what I'm asking God to do in my life this week. You get a chance to raise your kids to follow what Jesus would do. I mean, think about it. Your kids won't have to sit in here someday and hear this. They will already know from being a child that we simply seek more of God's presence and that God can't wait to move. We just maybe need to say, hey, God, I'm ready for you to show up in my life. It's a great way to train your kids and it's a great opportunity to talk to some of your friends and family, maybe introduce them to the kingdom of heaven. You never know. And so, as you can tell, uh, if, matter of fact, well, maybe not. If this is your first time here at Grace Life, uh, this is our week of prayer and fasting. And I, I would like to encourage every one of you to respond to the words of Jesus when you fast. In that day, which is now, you will fast. We do this twice a year, as I said. We've felt led to do this. We've been doing it, I'm pretty sure, about 10 years now. We do it every January because every January, everybody feels like they need a reset. They wanna get closer to God, get their life on track. They want a better year than the one they had before. And I believe this is true every single year of your life. The best way to have a better year is to have your best year spiritually because everything flows out of your pursuit of God. So we start every January with a week of prayer and fasting. And then we, we also do one every August because, well, if you guys have lived kind of in our culture, what happens is summer comes and you go on vacation, everything gets disconnected, you miss a little bit of church, you get out of your routine, you're not praying the same time every morning because you're on vacation at the beach, you forgot to pack the Bible, or you did pack the Bible, but you're tight, stuck in a hotel room with all your kids and you don't want to read your Bible because, <laughs> you know, I mean, we just get into a situation that by the end of summer, we're getting back into a new school year, we're like, okay, God, I need a reset. And so what we do is we come together uh, every day for an hour and we pray together. So it'll be Monday through Friday at 6.30 a.m., Saturday here at nine. And then we kick it off. This is important today. This evening at 6 p.m., we'll be right back here. I won't be preaching something different, but it's a time of just worship and prayer. Uh, and it is the way that we get ourselves set and ready for that. Again, whatever you fast this week, that is totally between you and God. If it's food, if it's food for a few days, if it's something else, that's up to you. But I do want to encourage us as a church family, let's go after God. I'm glad I got one amen on let's go after God. Man, I travel to Muslim nations and I get better responses sometimes. Come on, y'all. Are y'all going to heaven with us here? And I do want to just say for a moment, for those of you online, especially, we've still got at least a third of our church that's worshiping online. And and, uh, we are so grateful for technology. We're so grateful for the ability to do that. We will be streaming all of those prayer times. You'll be able to do that from home as well. Um, and as much as I'm grateful for that, and uh, I, I give everybody space to do whatever you need to do in our, our current pandemic situation. But for those of you that are comfortable being here, can I just encourage us? If you go back to the Old Testament, the dedication of the temple, when the people of God came together unified, it was powerful. 
Matter of fact, it was so powerful that God showed up in such a visible way in that physical space, they couldn't even finish what they had planned. And we see the believers in the New Testament in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit and they, because they were unified together in waiting. And so if you're comfortable being in a room with people, can I encourage you to, to make an effort to come out for some of these? They are online. You can also pray at home at the same time. That, that all exists. But I believe there is power to God's people coming together in unity. So I just want to encourage you, if you're comfortable, please, please consider coming out to some of those. So one last thing, if you came in today, there was a card sitting on your chair when you came in, you had to move it to sit down. If you're online, uh, they've either got a link or you can text whatever they're gonna put on the screen. They're gonna get you the same prayer card. It's W-O-P-F for week of prayer and fasting. Uh, text that to the number on the screen. Everybody here in the room, if you would, what we're gonna do is we're gonna, it's classwork, not homework. We're gonna do it right now. Is we're gonna take about 30 seconds right now. And I want you to write on that card, the number one thing you need from God. This is, we're gonna pray for every one of these cards every time we come together. We're gonna be praying for you. And if you're a guest here for the first time, you're saying, oh, this is just for members. No, it is not. If you are here online, even for the first time, in the room for the first time, please fill out that card. We're gonna be praying for you, what you need to see God do in your life every single day this week. So if you would right now, I know there are pins around you, pick up a card, take a few seconds, write down what you need to see God do in your life. keep writing until you leave. I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, but you can continue writing. It's, it's, it's okay. Father God, we thank you that you are a personal God. You don't just sit in heaven and watch from a distance. You love us. You hear our prayers. You meet our needs. You have filled us with your spirit. And so God, this week, we, we want to set aside a time where we connect greater in a deeper way. We come before you saying, you are El Shaddai. We have things that only you can do. God, for some of us, we need you to show up in power. For all of us, God, we need to experience more of you in our lives. And we just ask you to meet us in this place, wherever we are, whatever that place is in our soul, meet us there this week. Draw us closer to you. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I wanna to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. 2,000 years ago, Jesus came, God in the flesh. He lived a perfect life and then gave his life voluntarily on the cross so that his death would pay for your sins. It's called the gift of salvation. It's forgiveness and eternal life in heaven. But every single one of us at some point in time has to, we have to receive that gift. We have to say, thank you, Jesus, that you died for me and now I'm gonna live for you. If you've never done that, I wanna help you do that right now, wherever you are. If you simply would, say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I do thank you that you died for me. And so today, I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my simple prayer in this place, is that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Everybody help me celebrate with those people.